This podcast is sponsored by the Davenant Institute and Davenant Hall, reimagining theological education. Visit davenanthall.com. The Davenant Institute seeks to retrieve the riches of classical Protestantism to renew and build up the contemporary church. Key to this mission is their educational arm, Davenant Hall. In an age where much theological education both overlooks the riches of church history and keeps students in debt, Davenant Hall is reimagining theological education. Davenant Hall takes full advantage of digital technology to make high-quality theological education affordable via online courses. Students can simply audit a single class or enroll in a degree program, including subject-specific certificates, PhD supervision, and the flagship MLIT program, which includes pastoral tracks for Baptist, Anglican, and Reformed or Presbyterian ministry. Enroll in classes at any time during the academic year. Knowing that in-person fellowship is key to Christian formation, Davenant hosts regular residentials at their study center in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of South Carolina. Registration for spring term 2024 classes running April to June is now open. Register by March 27th. Fees start at just $225 for a 10-week class with a two-hour Zoom class from expert professors each week. Spring term classes include Male and Female in Modernity with Alistair Roberts, The Reformation and the Modern World with Michael Lynch, Philosophy as a Way of Life with Joseph Minnick and more. Visit DavenantHall.com to find out more. That's DavenantHall.com. This podcast is sponsored by the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, thanks to member support. Stay tuned to learn more at the conclusion of today's program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name is Carl Truman. I am a professor of biblical studies at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania, and I'm here with my co-host and friend, long-standing friend, Todd Pruitt, pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Man, I am on a roll with your title. You know, you I, know who yeah, I am now. Yeah, you've I'm had from. a long pastorate. I mean, you've been there for like more than 18 months now. Is that right? <laughs> That's, That's a pretty good. long pastorate for you, man. Oh, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, I have now been here almost eight years in uh, um, almost heaven, Western wow. Virginia, Blue wow. Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. It is a very beautiful home. area. It's very it beautiful. Uh, and yeah. a church, of course, with a remarkable ministry to the trailer park right behind. I think you have a lot of uh, Muslim immigrants. We have neighbors on one side of us who are um, mostly immigrants from uh, Central America and, and Mexico. And, and God's given us real favor there and it has given us a blessed ministry um, to those men and women and their children. We're very grateful for that. And then just down the street on the other side of our church is a a government-subsidized um, apartment complex that is mostly immigrants um, from the Muslim world, from everywhere from Northern Africa into um, Iraq and Iran particularly. And the Lord's given us a ministry um, to them and shown us a lot of favor. And we've been so 
blessed by that. Uh, it, it, our, our, our relationship with, with our Muslim neighbors has, has gone to the extent that the local imam, and because we have, we have a mosque in, uh, in Harrisonburg, but the local imam showed up one Sunday morning and kind of stood in the back in one of our services about two wow. or three years ago. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He, he was, he, he'd heard the rumors that uh, some of these people were allowing their children to attend our church. And apparently he was kind of concerned about that. So wow. yeah. Yeah. The world has come to our doorstep here at the, uh, in, in the Shenandoah Valley. That's so. And you're such a culturally sensitive God, Todd, that, you know, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't imagine a better man to be ministering to an immigrant Muslim population. I, I choose my words so carefully. No one really yeah. ever knows what I believe because of my depth of nuance. Yeah. So I'm glad yeah. you recognize that. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, we want to talk today about uh, uh, an issue that's it's getting a lot of headlines, certainly over the last few years, and that's spiritual abuse. And kind of like what you were doing to me a moment ago, Carl. Like what I was doing to you. I just feel ago, very yeah. spiritually abused by you. Yeah, we, we, we're developing a kind of critical Todd theory here where essentially <laughs> anything I do is bad and anything he does is virtuous. Uh, <laughs> spiritual abuse. I think there is uh, certainly a, a, a welcome acknowledgement now yes. of the reality that abuse in churches cannot be reduced to the physical in its various manifestations, whether just physical or sexual. That's, mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's something that we, we now realize that you can't simply talk about abuse in, in phys- what we might call physical terms. On the other hand, once you move beyond the physical, once you move beyond that which is, we might say, empirically and objectively observable, and yeah. accessible. You move into much murkier areas where, mm-hmm. you know, is a minister making a particularly pointed application from the pulpit that you dislike? Is that right. spiritual abuse? Well, I say yeah. no. But then where do you draw the line between the minister saying something you don't like as the minister mm-hmm. and that minister abusing you? Yeah. We might also say that spiritual abuse, certainly in the way it's hitting the headlines, has by and large been argued uh, or, or shown forth as a one-way street. It's the guy sure. in charge abusing the congregation or members yeah. of the congregation. What about congregations that abuse their minister? Yeah. I've met many Christians who have no experience of being abused by their pastor. Right. I have never met a pastor who has not had some experience of being abused by a congregant, even perhaps yeah. in a mild way, just an sure. angry email, inappropriate email or something like that. Yeah. But so those two things, I want to talk about them today, spiritual mm-hmm. abuse, sort of what is it and, and how do we discern you know, where to draw the lines? Mm-hmm. And two, what about the spiritual abuse that flows from congregation to minister? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, some of the recent conversations about spiritual abuse, I, I can, I think we can trace back to the whole Mars Hill in Seattle debacle. I mean, that's, in terms of my memory, that's where we really began talking about it a lot. Because there was, you know, clearly you had a, a, a pastor who was unhinged. He was, he was a, a bully. Lots of people were, were hurt in the process to the extent that that mega church and, and, and it was a whole network of of mega churches in that area under this Mars Hill banner, the whole thing imploded. It just collapsed. 
completely. And part of it was because it was built upon this one man who it became clear um, was a was a bully. I mean, he was just a, a, a bully. And, and it's very damaging to people to be bullied by their pastor. It's very damaging because in a, in a healthy church, a pastor is going to be treated with respect. And, um, you know, churches are called to, to honor, give double honor to those elders who, who labor well in preaching and teaching. You know, in, in Hebrews chapter 7, we're told to, to obey um, our shepherds, our, our leaders, our pastors. And so there are churches that do that really well. Now, the problem is, is if your pastor's a horse's rear end, that can become really damaging to people. And when you've been a faithful layperson who has encouraged your pastor and listened faithfully to his preaching and that kind of thing, and it turns out that he's a jerk, and more than just a jerk, but manipulative and bullying, uh, where he doesn't possess those qualities that are necessary for an elder that are outlined by, by the Apostle Paul, it can be spiritually devastating to a person. And I've met people over the years as a as a pastor who've, who've really crawled into our church, licking their wounds from a kind of heavy handed pastoring that goes well beyond uh, biblical categories of discipleship into what I think most people would describe as, as a kind of heavy handed tinkering in people's lives that has done damage to marriages and to children and that sort of thing. So those kinds of things do happen. They really do happen. And Sometimes they happen because out of, out of good motives, just poor hermeneutics from a pastor and a group of elders or, or a, um, you know, a, a family of churches that says, okay, we're going to disciple our people. So we're going to be in their homes. If, if, they, if they don't have their, their kids in the school that, that they're supposed to have them in, we're going to tell them that and insist they've got to have them in this school. We're going to start talking about, you know, to them about the jeans they wear. We're going to, you know, talk about the food they eat. I mean, we're just going to, because this is how you disciple people. Well, that easily crosses over into bullying, into the, a, a kind of almost an, an abusive heavy-handedness. Those things happen. We've read about those things happening. I've met people that that's happened to. I have also met people that have come into a church with horror stories about how abused they were only to have them turn around six months later and say the same thing about us and then go to the next church. And you, 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 find, you soon find out from their history they've been in six local churches, and it's always the same thing. Everybody's mean to them. They get abused. And sometimes telling the difference, as you've already suggested, can be really uh, difficult. I think in the, in the case of Mars Hill, the case of James McDonald um, at, at Harvest, um, the evidence was, was really pretty overwhelming of the kinds of things that were going on. And there needs to be evidence for this. But, but that's difficult. Sometimes, you know, with, with, with a mega church where you've got newspapers looking into it and journalists looking into it and multiple attestations and that kind of thing, it's a lot easier. It's not so easy if you're not a church or a pastor that's in the limelight that's getting the, yeah. the attention of a lot of journalists. And I think a lot of it, you know, no system, no mm-hmm. set of rules will solve the problem. Right. Because human beings are sinful, and we'll always find a loophole mm-hmm. somewhere. Uh, but I do think that that there are some things that you know, if your church isn't doing these, it should do them because they will provide some sort of mechanism or help. One, a book of church order that clearly yes. delineates the power that the church has, so that members have something they can look at and say, "Yeah, this, you know, this is the power the church elders see themselves as having." And if you, you know, and if it crosses a line, it, it's it's there written 
for you. Secondly, of course, making sure that the right men are appointed to leadership Mm -hmm. and making sure it's a plurality. You know, not every church, I understand this, not every church has sufficiently qualified men in order to have a plurality of elders. Mm -hmm. But I think the normal church should have a plurality of elders that keep each other accountable. None of that, you know, neither the book of order nor the elders will guarantee that spiritual abuse doesn't happen. And that's where I'd add a third factor. And this is the Presbyterian dimension. I think uh, uh, higher church courts that uh, allow for appeals against decisions of what the uh, the elders have done. So, you know, if your elders m- adopt a church policy that you happen to disagree with and you think it's abusive, right? in a Presbyterian denomination, you have the ability to appeal to the presbytery right. in order to address the issue. Does any of this solve the problem? No. It mitigates if, against it, though. If you don't have those things, mm-hmm. the potential for the problem uh, developing and being completely unchecked is is massive at that point. It is. It is. And I, I, um, I was talking to uh, another pastor not too long ago. And in the history of their church, in the not too distant history of the church, perhaps eight, nine years ago, um, their pastor left. He did not leave well. Um, He kind of left tossing some hand grenades as he went out. Now, this is a Presbyterian church, and there were a lot of people hurt. People were leaving the church because you had a group of people very loyal to this pastor, and then you had another group of people very loyal to um, just the church and the session and that sort of thing, And and there very quickly became a divide. And you had accusations and counter accusations. And so the session did something very wise. They contacted the presbytery, and they asked them to form a committee to investigate the issue. And they said, look, if you find fault with the way we treated this pastor, then write it up, tell us, and and the whole thing is going to go to our church. And if we are at fault, and if we need to repent of something, we're going to do that. Um, But we want you to come take control of this thing, really investigate it. And that happened. And they wrote up a, a very helpful report, and, and the church was very, very helped by it. And I thought, you know, only in Presbyterianism can you have something like that. Uh, you can't get it in the autonomous church Baptist world, unfortunately, but you can get it in, in Presbyterianism. Now, again, there was still a problem, but the, the ways to redress those problems are there. The mechanisms to redress those problems are, are there. And if there needs to be repentance, there's a way to go about that. Um, and, and that's why, you know, anymore, you know, I mean, I just, when people come to me with these issues uh, where, where the church needs significant help, I tell them, look, if you're not in a Presbyterian church, I don't know if there's anything I can do to help you on that because there's just not a mechanism for you uh, to, to help. So now, so on, on then the issue of, of spiritual abuse, we, we clearly affirm that there is such a thing as spiritual abuse, a, a pastor who uses his office to, to bully people, a pastor who uses the, the pulpit to air his grievances. You know, I heard somebody say one time that we always know what our pastor's angry about, you know, each Sunday from the pulpit. Uh, well, you know, that, you know, at minimum may not be abuse, but it's problematic. But, but I do know of stories from people who I know well. Uh, where the pastor would call people out by name from the pulpit and humiliate them. That's wrong. You know, that would be something that you could call spiritual abuse. Uh, A a pastor who will not tolerate any dissent or won't 
allow his authority to be questioned. Do those people exist? Yeah, they, they do. We have credible, credible stories of, of men like that in ministry. And, and so that happens, and it can be devastating for people. It can be devastating for people's faith. Yeah. And, and when that happens, it needs to be called out. It needs to be uh, um, confronted. If you're a bully, you shouldn't be a pastor. You know, we want yeah. to affirm those things. And gentleness, there you is, need to have gentleness. There are certain telltale signs as well. I think one can look for. Um, I've always been suspicious of any church where the budget can't be seen by the congregation. Yes. Yes. That strikes me as as a warning sign. Yeah. If yeah. if if you if you don't know where your money's going, mm-hmm. there there may be a bad leadership culture mm-hmm. there. Uh, secondly, I think, uh, and again, the lines can be blurred on this, but uh, pastors being too gung ho about intruding into the private family realm. Yes. Now, you know, I could say, well, you know, I wanted to marry this non-Christian girl and my pastor preached against people marrying non-Christians, marrying non-Christians in the pulpit. Is that spiritual abuse? No, (laughs) I think that's the pastor applying biblical teaching in in his pulpit. If the pastor is is routinely going around and telling people, you know, who they can and cannot marry, that's a bad sign. Right. Uh, if uh, if a pastor is is uh, haranguing somebody, not just from the pulpit but in private, mm-hmm. if the pastor is slandering somebody in a way that undermines them in the congregation, spreading gossip about them, all of these things could be uh, spiritually abusive. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be very suspicious about the pastor having you know particular secrets with particular people. Now that's not right. to say that confidentiality isn't important mm-hmm. in some circumstances, but if the pastor is using confidentiality to manipulate, right. that's a problem. Yeah, exactly. And I've heard of those things um, happening, and clearly, like anything, um, there are bad actors that wind up as pastors. We we know that. Just like there are bad actors that wind up as doctors and lawyers and plumbers and everything else. There are bad actors that wind up in pastorate. Now, bad pastors just turn out oftentimes to, to be devastating in terms of people's well-being, and that's a grievous that's a grievous thing. Now, again, we, we would encourage people to be in a church that's got that, that's well-ordered, uh, that has a book of church order, that practices uh, uh, connectionality uh, between churches and so, so that there's accountability uh, for pastors, there's accountability for leadership. Um, but we also have to be very, very cautious because with the, with, with the greater attention that the reality of spiritual abuse has gotten, so too have the, the, the cries of spiritual abuse, the accusations of spiritual abuse now proliferated all the more. Um, where it's legitimate, that's good. Let's shine a light on what's bad. But, uh, you know, a, an unrepentant adulterer being removed from a church is not spiritual abuse. That's called church discipline, and we're commanded to practice it. Yeah, yeah. Um, a pastor preaching against your pet sin is not spiritual abuse. It's being a faithful pastor. And we need to remember, we live in a very therapeutic age where right. people go to church to be affirmed. Right. Not, as Philip Reeve would say, to have their misery explained to them. <laughs> you know, we all... We all should feel the pinch mm-hmm. when the minister preaches the word right. because we're looking into a mirror and we shouldn't be fully comfortable with what we see staring back at us. Uh, you know, yesterday I, had a, I was at a church where the minister preached on the need for, for kindness and charity in, in engaging others. And, you know, 
uh, you know, we're all sitting there thinking, wow, you know, I've not always been kind when I've yeah. engaged with other people, you know, when I've written stuff, sometimes, you know, yeah. you go for the kill simply right. because of the pleasure of the kill. That's not, that's not the mind of Christ. Right. And you feel uncomfortable and you could tell mm-hmm. everybody else in the room in this era of Twitter and Facebook yeah. is feeling uncomfortable. And I'm thinking that's good. Yeah. That's good. It's good to be reminded that actually, Sometimes when we think we're being righteous, we're really being self-righteous. And it's mm-hmm. not spiritual abuse for the pastor to, you know, if you might say, gently shove that in our faces. Right, right. You know, it's been interesting with, with the rise of, of a therapeutic culture, we've, it has also given us a whole vocabulary now that, that, that we're used to using. And, and um, oh, a few years ago, the front of our church was vandalized. Um, the entire front facade of, of our church and Carl, you've seen it before, but yeah. it was spray painted with very vulgar, not only words, but, but pictures mm. um, of what I would describe as um, homosexual graffiti. Okay. Mm. And accusations um, of, of uh, sexism as well as, you know, hating, you know, gays and LGBTQ and da, 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 and, and then pictures to accompany it all. And I thought, you know, this on, on, you know, by, by virtue of the fact that we're a, a PCA church that has a clear staked out position on those issues. And, and as a pulpit, our church has clearly staked out the biblical position on those issues. But in the minds of some, that's abusive. That's, that's, that's a monstrous attack upon people's identity, the things that we say. And it wasn't long ago that we just didn't think about it in those terms. Um, but now for... For a church to simply say, and I remember at one point I talked specifically to our children in yesterday's sermon because I was talking about the need for courage, recovering courage as a Christian virtue. And because it just, the, the text I was preaching lended itself to that application. And at one point I just turned to our children and I said, children, listen to me. We're in a day now where for you to just simply believe what the Bible says about what it means to be a mom and a dad what the Bible says that it means to be a boy and a girl for you to believe those things. People aren't going to like you and they're going to think that you are really, really mean, that you're a bad person to, to believe those things. And I think we're seeing a rise in these accusations against just simply churches who believe what Christians have always believed. Now the language of abuse is being applied to them. You are yeah. sexist. You are misogynistic. Um, you, you know, you're transphobic, you're homophobic. Those are traumatic. Those, those are words that, that, that betray a, you know, you've traumatized me. You've yeah. harmed yeah. me. And that's uh, one of the characteristics of the therapeutic age is our minds are very dominated by certain narratives that tend to put us at the center. Mm-hmm. And therefore, when we're confronted by a narrative that decenters us or decenters where we place our identity, we actually think of that as an assault. Right. I saw something Tony Esselin had wrote, written recently where he said, you know, now I realize, he said, why people don't like the Odyssey. Uh, yes. The Odyssey has to be got rid of because it presents an alternative narrative to what greatness is that kind of contradicts the narratives that we tell ourselves about greatness. Therefore, we don't think of it as an alternative narrative. We think of it as oppressive. We think of it as oppressive. And it explains some of the reaction to my critical race theory piece. You know, if you like, it's it's not that I'm really a racist so much. It's, hey, there's another narrative here, but it doesn't fit with the narrative we have. Therefore, it must be oppressive. Every time you go into church, if your minister is preaching faithfully, 
He's going to be preaching an alternative narrative to the one you want to believe about yourself. And he's going to be vulnerable to abuse. Now, again, to go back to the beginning of the program, that's not to say abuse does not exist. But just because, just because it makes you feel bad or it hurts you doesn't mean it's necessarily abuse. It could be. It could be. But it might but- just be your minister telling you, you know, you're sinful and you've defaced the image of God and, and that's a problem. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and, and also, as long as we're on these, these topics, um, uh, male-only ordination is abusive in some people's eyes now. I mean, that is, yeah. that is spiritual abuse in these yeah. categories. That's why Tim Keller had the uh, Kuiper Prize withdrawn a few years ago. Exactly. Or, withdrew, or maybe withdrew from the Kuiper Prize. I can't remember the, the no, dynamics. It was, it, was, it was withdrawn from him. There was an explosion yeah. of anger because this, this man who we would regard as too much of a gentleman, quite often, <laughs> very right. gracious, very gentlemanly right. man. I mean, yeah. how can you be offended at, at, at Tim Keller being an extremist? <laughs> right. it, it's hard to, for me to yeah. think myself into that world. Right. But here's this very gentle, gracious man. But no, he belongs to a body that holds a narrative that doesn't jibe with mm. the big narrative, and he's therefore... Exactly. He's an oppressor, however nice an and oppressor. pleasant and delightful and gracious and kind and polite he may be. Mm-hmm. He's an oppressor. Yep. Yep. Given the fact that he is uh, an elder in the, in the Presbyterian Church in America, puts him in the category of an abuser. Now, Carl, you said something earlier that caught my attention as well, and, and I'd never heard it put this way, but it mirrors my own experience where you said, um, you know, that, that you've met lots of Christians, as, as I have, who have never had any sort of experience of being bullied or, or, or harmed, you know, by, by their pastor in any way, but you've never met a pastor who hasn't felt it's, it's at some point deeply harmed by a church. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I have to say, I, I think that I, I, I don't know if I know a pastor who wouldn't say the same thing. Um, yeah. um, uh, I, I've, the Lord's blessed me by putting me in really happy, church experiences, but there was one that was extremely unhappy. And um, there was a kind of bullying that, that went on that was well beyond anything I'd even had a category for. I'd heard stories about this kind of stuff from other pastors, but I'd never experienced it until I was in the middle of it. And, and since then, you know, I've written some things about it. I've talked about it some, and I, to this day, am contacted. I, I, I can't think of a month that, that goes by where I don't hear from at least one pastor who knows something about my experience and, and reaches out to me and says, man, you know, they're killing me here. What should I do? And, and so, uh, you know, when we're talking about spiritual abuse, let's, let's be careful to say, you know, it goes both ways. This isn't, this isn't a sin. Spiritual abuse insofar as when it actually happens isn't a sin that only pastors or elders are guilty of. Yeah. Um, there aren't just bad pastors, though there are some bad pastors. There are some bad churches yeah. as well. Abuse is a function of power. Yeah. And power in churches is complicated, particularly mm-hmm. today when there's such a variety of churches out there, because there is a sense in which the church member is a consumer. They can <laughs> right. take their money and go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Church members have power too, and they know yes. it. And they yes. know it. And I, again, without wanting to 
you know, say all church members are abusive. Not not saying that right. at all. We're right. saying all pastors or all pastors I've yeah. met have been abused at some level. Some at more trivial, some at a more serious level. But abuse is a function of power. So don't allow, when you think about spiritual abuse, don't allow some simplistic model of power whereby, oh, the minister's clearly like the Pope and he's completely in charge. And therefore it's for him to abuse or not abuse as, as he sinfully sees fit. Don't allow that model to grip your imagination because actually, you know, to use the sort of the trendy language, the discourse of power in the church is much more complex than a a one-way flow system. The the pastors I know are guys who who go to bed every night wondering, have I upset anybody? You know, who's mad at me? You know, have I I not done a good enough job keeping everybody Or in your case, who have I upset? It's not have (laughs) I upset anybody. I I wonder who I offended this time. But, but, you know, that's a a matter of angst for a lot of pastors because they know that in terms of a power differential, there are many ways in which they're powerless. And uh, and they know it. and, And it can cause a lot of angst for the pastor. And that's why so many pastors know that, you know, on one level, I've got to be liked because if I'm not, they'll just go somewhere else and then I don't have a job. So there, as you said, there's a lot of, there's a lot of power at work there and changing hands. And I will say this, um, when I was going through this terrible experience at this unhappy situation, my kids were, were, were still fairly young. My youngest was still in grade school and um, they were very aware of what was happening because it was so out in the open and so flagrant and even my youngest, my two youngest, my sons knew very well what was going on. Um, even though we tried to shield, Karen and I tried to shield it from, shield them from it as much as possible. But I remember at, at different times, my kids coming to me and worried that, is this just the way it's going to be in a church? And me with integrity being able to say no. And I remember saying to each one of them, the best people I've ever met are people in church. The, the best things I've ever witnessed are things I've witnessed in and through the church. Now, are there some bad things that happen in a church? Yep. And you're seeing it. You're seeing it, kiddo. But the reason why your dad is not despairing, you, the reason why I still have hope, why your dad still has hope, is because the best people I've ever met have been in a church as well. And, and that's true. You know, and the same is true for pastors. You're going to encounter, I hope you never encounter a pastor who's an ungodly jerk. But you might. But remember, some of the best people I know are pastors. And uh, there are godly, conscientious pastors like Carl Truman was. And uh, I'm a know, former and, pastor. I'm just exactly. to know. And you're just an elder now. But yeah, so, so please remember that. And, and uh, the, if you encounter a jerk as a pastor, don't let that cause you to, to throw the towel in on the church. The church is the church is a reflection of, of, of all of us. It's got our best stuff in it, and it's got our worst stuff in it. If you happen to encounter a predator, then, you know, let the wheels of justice turn and get yourself into a good church, because there are good churches. There are good pastors. And um, thank God for that. Well, we're happy that you, uh, you joined us today uh, for this discussion. Listen, we know that spiritual abuse happens, but let's be very, very careful to not allow um, disagreements, even sharp disagreements, degenerate into accusations of, of abuse. Um, let, let's not start counting 
well-ordered churches who practice discipline uh, to be accused of, of abusiveness. And so we've got to guard our hearts and guard our tongues in that way. Um, but we hope, the, hope that this has been helpful. We would encourage you to go over to our website, mortificationofspin.org, where you can find a number of different resources and uh, things that we think will be helpful for you. And while you're there, keep in mind that we're a listener-supported podcast. Um, we, we hope to continue to provide this sort of content uh, for you. We hope to be uh, uh, helpful. We also hope to cause a little bit of, of, of helpful trouble as we go along. And if you'd like to contribute to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, then please do that. Until next time, until we bring to you the next controversial topic, which will surely make some folks angry. Please join us again next time for Mortification of Spin. Hope to see you. Hope to talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. What about music for that? Saturday night's all right for fighting. Elton John. You know, Carl Truman is the Elton John of the reform. I am. I am. A less likely person to be fighting on Saturday night than me and Elton John. It's hard to imagine, actually. But I'll be at home with a glass of brandy watching some thriller on the TV. Uh Uh Great. All right. Okay. Well, one of these days we might actually get to see each other again, right? I know. Maybe soon. twenty, maybe twenty thirty two, when they list, lift all the mandates. And right. <laughs> J Lo will be the second female president by that. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is a service of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Thanks to member support. Your generosity and prayers enable the Alliance to provide more ways for Christians to read and hear the truth of God's Word. Alliance podcasts are reaching a new generation. Alliance websites like Reformation 21 and Place for Truth showcase the writings of today's leading thinkers. Reformed events are historic gatherings of respected Bible teachers reflecting together on a common theme. And Reformed Resources brings it all together, offering trustworthy audio, video, books, and other materials to strengthen and grow your faith. Connect with it all at AllianceNet.org. Your financial support is urgently needed to keep this podcast online. So as you visit our website, select the green Donate button and share your most generous gift. Join us in this powerful, practical ministry. We're the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, proclaiming biblical doctrine to foster a reformed awakening in today's church.